Hey, welcome everybody. Listening to the Bleeding Big Blue Podcast, Alex Savage Brothers back again. So I got a couple things on my mind today. First off, here are the results from the batch of polling going for the top five New York Giants players going into 2019. First matchup here is Saquon Barkley versus Darius Slayton. Saquon Barkley beat Darius Slayton 19-8 with a percentage of 70.3 to 29.7. And Sterling Shepard beat Jabril Peppers 10-8 when Sterling Shepard got 55.6% of the vote and 44.4% went to Jabril Peppers. A couple other updates before we get to one of the mainstream topics today. Tomorrow, Wednesday, I will be doing my Giants Simulation YouTube Madden series stream. It's where I stream and have Madden simulate all of the 16 Giants games that are scheduled for this season. And those, of course, are done with downloaded Madden rosters. I picked the correct one. And, of course, it's actually a pretty good roster, and I did it with the Steelers one. I'm going to do it week two. Again, seems to be going good so far. 40-something views on our stream so far, which is really good. And hopefully we attract more attention from Steelers fans and Giant fans and fans who are just hoping to watch a simulation of 2020 NFL before we get to the actual season. So first off today, uh, around 1 p.m. I heard it, but this came out around maybe like 9.46 a.m. A lot of people didn't know about it until later in the day, which was around 1 p.m. And then everybody started reacting uh, Aljic Rosas was involved in a hit-and-run according to TMZ. According to the headline, he T-boned a truck and ran off. Almost did, but I'll read some of the article here. First off, here's what the Giants said. The Giants released a statement on the arrest saying, We are aware of the situation and have been in contact with Aldrick. We have no further comment at this time. Pretty much a model for everything that has happened the offseason for the Giants when they were dealing with players who have been in trouble with the law. DeAndre Baker and Alger Rosas. Now, no further comment at this time obviously means, you know, we have nothing to comment. That's what all teams say when they're really talking behind closed doors when it's about something like this. So let's keep reading. Here is a good portion of the article that I picked up. New York Giants star kicker Alger Rosas was arrested Monday after allegedly T-boning a car and fleeing the scene. And cops believe alcohol was involved. TMZ Sports has learned. Law enforcement officials say witnesses saw the 25-year-old who made the Pro Bowl in 2018 going around 100 miles per hour and driving erratically around 8.25 a.m. in Chico, California when he allegedly failed to stop at a red light. Cops say he plowed right into the side of a pickup at the intersection but kept on driving despite disabling the vehicle he struck. Cops say Rosas' black SUV broke down shortly after the crash but claim witnesses saw the NFL player exit the ride and run. Law enforcement officials tell us when officers arrived on scene, they launched an investigation and say they eventually found Rosas walking near the crash site. According to cops, Rosas' hands, legs, and bare feet were covered in blood when they stopped him for questioning. Cops say after Rosas admitted to being the registered owner of the SUV, they took him to a nearby medical center for evaluation before eventually booking him at the Butte County Jail. We're told Rosas was booked on a hit-and-run charge as well as driving on a suspended license. Cops also say they believe alcohol impairment was a factor in the alleged incident and say the investigation is ongoing. We've reached out to Rosas, meaning TMZ, and the Giants for a comment, but so far no word back yet. Aldrich Rosas has been a stud for the G-Men since joining the team in 2017, making 62 of his 75 field goal attempts. Talk about another Giants headline like that, folks. Here's my take. First of all, 
Why are you driving with a suspended license in the first place? Put aside the alcohol for about 15 seconds. Why are you driving with a suspended license? Especially, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit, what I was about to bring up. Now bring in the alcohol. Most of these athletes preach kids against driving drunk and doing drugs, but that's just gunshotting the campaign right there. That's really contradicting because if you look at the Giants' Twitter and you look at the Giants' Facebook and the Instagram when it's the off season or whether it's during the season, you'll see players like going out to help their communities with either racial injustice or or going up to a hospital and cheering up a cancer patient or a diabetic patient or somebody or a kid who's been infected with a terminal disease or someone who's been infected with a serious disease. Giants usually try to help out those people in the community and try to do great things for them, raise money and all that. Rosas has been a part of that, though. You know, it's it'd be one thing if he didn't help out the community, but he he's done that. So I don't understand why he's going out and doing this. You know, imagine kid gets out of the hospital or a guy gets out of the hospital, or, you know, met Rosas because he or she was injured or they had some terminal illness, finally got away from that. And then you see this headline on the news like, didn't I just meet this guy? So you're really contradicting what you're doing there. Put aside the alcohol and everything like that by driving with a suspended license. Like you're going to try to be a role model of these kids and then walk all of that back because you decided to do something stupid like this. Again, what if somebody comes out of the hospital and you just visited them and you cheered them up and they come out of the hospital to see this headline and be like, what I just said before, didn't I meet this guy and didn't he just cheer me up? So that's what a lot of people don't talk about in this factor, especially the role modeling and the stuff he's done for lots of communities. Yeah, that's great and all, but when they compare it to you're driving drunk 8.25 a.m. and you're crashing into cars and almost paralyzing people, I mean, come on now. And then you proceed to drive 100 miles an hour. Of course, he couldn't control that because he was buzzed at 8.25 a.m. Probably pulled an all-nighter, but I don't know the story, or the whole story, I should say. Now, he crashed into someone's truck and... What are you doing still driving when he you crash and the vehicle is totaled or disabled? You're going to hurt that person more yourself more? I mean, come on. Obviously, he was under the influence, but drunk or not, you need to control yourself in some sort of fashion. Now, here's where this gets football-like, in my opinion, and this is what it comes down to. In my opinion, this has more concrete evidence, not really concrete, but this is more evidence against Rosas than for him, obviously. Yet, we don't know if there's other parts of the story, but it looks right now that everyone has stories against him. Whether you're a witness or you're a cop on the case, the evidence is really facing Rosas right now. Now, for the people that want to compare it to the DeAndre Baker situation, you had people poke holes in the witnesses' stories and say, although DeAndre Baker wasn't involved, like that's still being investigated, but right now, you don't have anyone poking holes yet in this story. And it's a little less complicated and a little lesser of a crime. I mean, obviously, he didn't kill anyone. He didn't try to kill anyone. The blood was really on his hands. And he did that to himself, but he also totaled or probably destroyed the car in front of him, the pickup truck. But going back to what I think of this and what would the Giants do, if they're going to keep him, this is a big rash on Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman. Now, if everybody remembers, everybody was calling for Aldrich Gross's head after 2017. I'll get rid of him. 
uh, caught him. He's a bad kicker, bringing competition. Gettleman is the one who revived his career. He loves special teams, brought in Thomas McCaughey, the special teams coordinator from Carolina, who totally revitalized his special teams, had Alger Krosos go to the Pro Bowl in 2018. Riley Dixon almost go to the Pro Bowl in 2019. So he's really done a, a number on this group in a good way. But if you don't get rid of Alger Grossos in this situation, you're going to have fans be like, oh, you guys didn't get rid of Janoris Jenkins, but you, it took the Giants organization a while to get rid of Josh Brown and Alger Grossos. So you're going to face that criticism, especially if you decide to keep him for this. And this is really a burn towards the supposed culture fix-up. You know, you got rid of Janoris Jenkins, and you were trying to supposedly build the culture. Joe Judge is this guy. Now, I'm not blaming it on, on Judge or Gettleman here, but... The end decision will have to be either cut him or face the criticism. But you can also probably make the argument that Gettleman could be saying to Joe Judge, hey, take it easy on him. Don't go too hard on Aldrich Rosas. You know, he only did it once. Right. But when you get in trouble with the law, I'm sorry, it's not an excuse. And it shouldn't be an excuse. But a lot of players get away with that. But anyway, Joe Judge is this guy, oh, bring in the culture good culture let's take out the bad culture if you keep this this is really contradicting your statement and i'm not saying it's joe judge's decision it's really more of the upper management but joe judge has to have a say in that decision because he's the head coach that wants to revitalize this team and make the giants win again so if they don't move on they seem like hypocrites however if they do move on i would say they likely bring in steven goskowski or some type of veteran and wait for a young kicker maybe next year or something Honestly, that's me because Goskowski has familiarity with Joe Judge. And one more thing before we get to something else. We should also recognize that TMZ is trying to make more of a name for themselves every time they report something. Sports or not. Because apparently, they said in the article, and I read it, that apparently Algic Rosas was a stud kicker and he was a star Giants player. Well, if anybody has been watching football the last three, four years, everybody knows that Aldrich Rosas had one good season and went to the Pro Bowl. That was the year Dave Gettleman came in. And in 2019, everything fell apart. Oh, we're going to act like we're going to play like 2017 again. We're going to miss a lot of kicks like 2017. So that's just something to point out in TMZ. Like, I'm not dissing TMZ for reporting on a giant situation, but at least get your facts right. Like, if you have people working on the sports section... At least get your facts right. Like, Alger Grossos, two beats one here. 2017-2019 were two horrible seasons for him, as were the whole team. 2018 was a terrible year for the Giants. They were supposed to win. That didn't happen. Alger Grossos missed one extra point, missed one kick, went to the Pro Bowl. So, again, get your facts right. And if you're going to say, oh, this is really not the main part of the story, Alger Grossos was never really a star for the Giants. He was not. Again, one Pro Bowler a year. And to also add the fact, when I was reading it earlier, yes, it was like uh, 62 out of 75 field goals made in his career. Did you even bother to look at extra points? Because apparently that doesn't matter in football now. Extra points don't matter. But just to put up the staff for you before we move on, he's made 86 of 94 extra points. And it's not like he's had this long career where you could space out his extra points missed. or be like, oh, he's had... Uh, eight missed extra points, but you could space that out over like six years. No, he has missed eight extra points in three years. And if people say, oh, it's only eight, well, it's detrimental because you take a look at the Giants in 2017. Not like 2019 where you could sort of say, okay, maybe this happened, Zach Diossi's bad snaps, or maybe the Giants need to go down the field with Daniel Jones and then make a 
two-point attempt, which the Giants actually could have done last year because I think the offense was more improved, even though Daniel Jones was fumbling the football on the offensive line. wasn't really helping that. But back to the point that the offense was so dry in 2017. Now, get it that the Giants had Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley at different points in 2019. But in 2017, yeah, you didn't have good receivers. But the point is, you know, when you don't have good receivers and when you have an injury-paralyzed team, those extra points mean a lot. That's why I always say, don't just look at the stats. Look in the game sensitivity. Aljic Rosas missed the extra point against the Eagles when we versed them at home in December of 2017, right? 6 nothing. That put a plague on us because also later in the game, he misses a field goal from I don't know how long, but that could have easily won the game. So you got the extra point and you got the three points. That was about maybe four. I'm pretty sure there was another thing in there that could have happened. Oh, also the missed two-point attempt. That could have also played into factor. So I'm not blaming the whole loss on Alger Rosas, but again, that plays a factor. And that's what Giants fans need to pay attention to, especially when you're looking at those stats. So that's pretty much my take on the whole Alger Rosas situation and basically the whole TMZ thing. I want to get to another subject, but first, want to listen to a Giants podcast during quarantine and after? With opinions based on evidence and favorable predictions? Real formation? Well, you're at the right place, everyone. Listen to our podcast, the Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. Giants info and takes every Tuesday and Thursday. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, which features podcast episodes, Madden streams, and short videos based on takes and film done by Rohan Sangani. Our podcast is hosted on Podbean, but available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Follow our Instagram and Twitter pages for daily updates and fan interactions at Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. So, I wrote an article for the site that I work for, All New York Sports. I kind of had to do a quickie because the article was due yesterday, and I did it yesterday. I'm going to be honest there, but topic I should discuss that I really haven't gotten into. Should the Giants re-sign John Halapio? Now, this is a topic of conversation that has been splitting the Giants community. But my verdict is essentially yes, but no. If the Giants bring him up in on one condition, I wouldn't have a huge problem with it. I won't freak out, but there are reasons behind it. I'm going to explain in this segment. So obviously, Halapio started six games at right guard for DJ Fluker in 2017. And then he transitioned to center, obviously, with the help of his best O-line pal, Brett Jones. Those two and Evan Brown competed for the first-team center during the training camp of the preseason of 2018. And then once the third week was done, Sherman and the staff decided, okay, Jalapio wins it, and then they traded Brett Jones to the Vikings for a seventh-round pick in 2019. So ultimately, John Greco and Spencer Pulley were the backup centers, but John Greco was the veteran that came through in the preseason, was slated to be the backup guard now that Brett Jones is gone, but Pulley was also a waiver-wire pick. Now, everyone remembers that Jalapio got a broken ankle and was out for the year against the Cowboys. Okay, and the Giants had like 600 different line combinations full of Pulley, Brown, Wheeler, Mahalik, Solder, Hernandez. It was it was a shit show, in my opinion. That's the way to put it. So once free agency came around again, Gettleman praised him a whole lot, especially at the end-of-year press conference, and Jalapio got re-signed and won the starting job over Spencer Pulley at center. Now, as everyone recognized, when Eli Manning came off the field week two, now going to week three, when Daniel Jones was in, the offensive lines play deteriorated. 
Now, as that happened, everybody started watching film and started going off of people who watched that film. Especially the analytics people and PFF people, but everybody realized that one thing happened. John Jalapio's magic expired and he was not the true center of the future like Gettleman promised. Now, nobody said that Jalapio was a pro bowler. Nobody said that he was going to be this great center that, you know, Giants could have him for the next 10 years. He was only paid $645,000 that year. Now, at times like these, you have to be careful with who is in front of your rookie QB. Developmental stats and developmental skills are key. Why do you think the Giants took Andrew Thomas at four and not Isaiah Simmons? That would be because Nate Solder gave up 11 sacks and 57 pressures last year. And with Thomas at four, they feel... That, oh, he faced the best competition, and we could put him in right away. And start him at left tackle for the next 10 years, and hopefully fix Daniel Jones' fumbling issue. Now, obviously, some of the fumbles were his fault, and right now he's training to fix them. We've heard some reports from the beat writers, oh, he's training North Carolina or South Carolina to fix them. Went down to Texas. I forgot to mention this. I think it was on my last podcast episode that was last Thursday. A lot of Giants teammates offensively went down to Texas and tried out some of the new plays that Jason Garrett has implemented in their system, which is really good because in this time, obviously, you can't go out and do like a whole team thing. Obviously, mini camps already ended and they could get it inside the actual facility. So they took it upon themselves. Hey, we're in a new system. Let's go get used to it and let's go play some football. But going back to what I was saying, Jones's fumbling is going to get fixed and he's training to fix them right now. But you need a good line to succeed, and Gettleman went to fix his O-line once and for all. Now, back to Jalapio, really. A lot of people prefer Jalapio over Pulley, because a lot of people prefer Jalapio's worst game, one of them being against the Vikings, over the only game Pulley started, which was versus the Jets, and the offensive line gave up about, I think, six sacks that game. Now, I would prefer one of them only, and I'll tell you who, but we're going to lead up to that point. Now, Pulley's on the roster right now, and... When you drafted Shane Lemieux to cross-train to center and when you have Nick Gates also there, why would you keep two veteran centers on the roster? You just need one. First couple of games, you have maybe Spencer Pulley and then you transition whoever you want there. Now, also add that John Halpio is coming off an ACL tear and nobody or really most people aren't the same after they come off of that. Halpio wasn't relatively good in 2019 before he tore his ACL. But that doesn't mean, you know, you start him in there and play him right away. I really don't trust it. Especially for the fact that he tore it at the end of the year and not the beginning of the year. Because we don't know if he's going to be ready for training camp and all of that. But apparently he will be. Now going back to the Gates and Lemieux thing. Obviously Joe Judge has expressed interest in cross-training both of them at center. Well, they've been doing that themselves. Or Joe Judge has told them to. Because Nick Gates is in Vegas right now or has been in Vegas training with Will Hernandez and some Raiders players like Derek Carr, and he's been practicing snapping the ball. And you also got Shane Lemieux, who was practicing snapping the ball before the NFL draft. So that isn't game experience, but it's practice experience, and it's something. Because you take a look at John Halpio, I don't think he's played center before the Giants told him, hey, transition to center with the help of Brett Jones, and you'll be our starting center week one, 2018. So there is still a chance that Nick Gates or Shane Lemieux could win the starting center job. Because they gave Jalapio that chance in transitioning, why not give one of these guys a chance of transitioning? But anyway, my final decision will probably be to bring him in for competition purposes. Again, I don't trust him because he's coming off an ACL tear. To be honest, I'd rather trust Pulley. 
Now, I also brought up before, or Pulley did worse than Jalapio's worst game, right? But Pulley is healthier, and he could probably be in there for the first five to six games or seven games, depending on how the Giants see the center position and how the center position and how the people competing at center are coming along. But if you really want to bring in John Jalapio, bring him in like 700k salary, and then have him compete for the center position with Spencer Pulley. Now at this point, John Jalapio knows he's not the future center of the team because he probably looked and said, hey, they got Nick Gates training and they also got Shane Lemieux in the draft. I know I'm not the future center. But I think at this point, he probably is just happy to be part of an NFL team and try to prolong his career, whether it be as a veteran guard, a veteran reserve guard, or possibly a starter somewhere else. But he's happy to be part of an NFL team, and he likes the fact that Dave Gettleman praises him a shit ton. So that's my view on the John Halapio situation. So the last thing I want to talk about, really, I'm not going to get too much into the subject, but it probably confuses a lot of Giants fans, and still to this day, really. So if you take a look at the Giants' rebuild, there's a couple of things that really confuses you, especially the moves. So if you take a look, Giants replaced OBJ with Golden Tate and Curtis Riley with Antoine Bethea. That's two moves that are veteran-like. They also replaced Chad Wheeler with Mike Remmers. Now if you take a look at the Miami Dolphins, you take a look at the Giants. If you think about it... The Giants had the worse record than the Miami Dolphins, but you take a look, the Dolphins did more to tank and rebuild. Now, I'm going to tell you why in a couple of differences or pinpoints. Dolphins traded some good players away and did not resign others for the sake of the future. Giants did that as well. Most games played by rookies in the NFL split offensive defense. Basically, what I'm saying by that is a lot of them on defense, and same with the Giants, but they were probably the worst defense in the league. By far. Now, you could say, oh, Patrick Graham's fault, but I'm pretty sure Brian Flores called the plays. And the coaching has to be there as well. So you can't just say, oh, if you put all the rookies in, they're going to be horrible. No, the coaching needs to be there as well. So they're not going to be all terrible, but most of them are going to have a tough time transitioning to the NFL. As I mentioned, they tanked, but they still had a better record than the Giants. And they rebuilt their defense, but consisted of some vet players. You take a look at their offensive line, it's kind of a little bit similar to what the Giants had. I mean, I know they had Will Hernandez at left guard, Nate Solder at left tackle. The Giants line was mostly compiled with veterans, something you really wouldn't see in a rebuild. I think what Dave Gettleman was trying to do, and a lot of people say this, including the Michael K show, that they were trying to rebuild that defense, but trying to win it with the offense and Eli. I think that's what they were trying to go for before they went on with Daniel Jones. And they were thinking that the coaching was actually going to be good enough to coach these rookies to at least be a decent team and have the offense carry them. I think that's what the Giants were trying to do. And then everything fell through the first two games. And they said, you know what? Screw the season. We're going to put Daniel Jones in. Now, I don't think they really had a win-now model. I think they were just trying to win a couple of games to save Eli's career. But you take a look. They revitalized the offensive line this offseason. The defense was last offseason. That was with Corey Ballantyne, Sam Beal, DeAndre Baker, Dexter Lawrence, Ryan Connolly. That was that offseason. That was the last offseason. This offseason's really been more about the offensive line. So we could see some struggles there. But I think the defense should take a step forward. And really when you're rebuilding a team, in my opinion at least, you want to rebuild both sides. You don't want to do, okay, step one, rebuild the defense. Step two, rebuild the offensive line. 
my opinion, I wouldn't do that. I would just say, okay, well, this side's struggling, make this side struggle too, so that way they get their growing pains out, and then in two years, they could be a good winning team. But that really didn't happen with the Giants. They had a win-now offensive line. Don't tell me otherwise, because what rookie right tackle were they going to have succeed Mike Remmers? Georgia Safo Ajay? I mean, they put him on the practice squad, and the backup tackle behind Remmers was Nick Gates, and they didn't really know what Nick Gates was about. He was a backup tackle at the time that nobody hyped. But that's somebody now who could be a diligent part of this offensive line center or future right guard after Kevin Zeidler retires. But if you look at the Dolphins situation, the offensive line was kind of mixed. Because I think you had Julian Davenport and Isaiah Prince at the tackle positions. And you also had Jesse Davis inside at guard. And people are look to say, oh, Josh Rosen, oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think... I really didn't understand why they traded for Josh Rosen. They give up, I think, a second-round pick for him. Especially when you're trying to rebuild. I don't think you trade for somebody like that. I mean, he failed. He's a draft bust. That's common sense. That's really out. Right now, he didn't do good in Arizona with really a win-now trying team with a rookie quarterback. And they didn't really put pieces around him, so he didn't succeed. But he was in a rebuilding year with Miami, even though Ryan Fitzpatrick was put over him. Now, trade for Josh Rosen or not, really, it did and didn't impact the situation. Because you look at Fitzpatrick, they were waiting till they could draft Tua. It was the tank for Tua campaign, and they said, okay, let's just have a veteran quarterback in there for right now. Have a somewhat rebuilding offensive line, and let's tank. For Tua and other draft picks, and hopefully we get the big cap money we try to win in 2020-2021. But again, you take a look at the Giants. They rebuilt the defense first, then they said, okay, let's focus on the offensive line, which was really the center of what they were trying to do in the rebuilding. They weren't trying to rebuild the receiving core, no. They were trying to rebuild the offensive line. That was the main point. That was the struggling point. That's what Dave Gettleman needs to do to save his job. He needs this offensive line to work and progress especially his fourth overall pick. And he should really have Nick Gates at center or right guard or maybe right tackle for a little bit until Matt Pert develops. But again, those are two different styles of rebuilding. And you really didn't see the Giants tank. They really tried winning games for Pat Shermer's career. They really did. And it was really focused on Daniel Jones' development. And the year before that, it was focused on Eli's play and how they put a team together. Not much talent in 2018. 2019, it was probably lesser than that. You were focusing on Daniel Jones' development. And a lot of people like to say, oh, the last Philly Eagle game, you know, Daniel Jones didn't do that well. That's why Pat Shermer got fired. Well, he had a multi-touchdown game against the Redskins before, so whether you're facing a crap defense or not, that's still something. But personally, talent or not, you put on Pat Shermer's roster, I don't think he could get it done. He's not head coach material. He's quarterback offensive coordinator. And going back to the earlier point before I got in this Dolphins-Giants thing, when I was talking about Antoine Bethea and Golden Tate, those are really stopgap deals. I mean, yeah, you signed Golden Tate four years. He's not going to last that long, in my opinion, because he's going to be 35 at the end of the deal and I think that the Giants would probably have a good number one or a wide receiver core where you could split the ball around and they don't need Tate anymore but those are really stopgap deals you look at Remmers stopgap deal until you finally say okay we're going to draft the right tackle in this draft they didn't draft the right tackle until the seventh round of the 2019 draft you had Antoine Bethea Drafted Julian Love, converted him free safety. As he's converting, you have Antoine Bethea play free safety. 
and then eventually mold Julian Love into a deep safety or a box safety, whatever the Giants wanted to do with him. Now, why they had Golden Tate or the way they signed him, really, it was a kind of a mixed move, probably because of leadership, and they were still trying to revive Eli's career at that time. And that didn't really work, but we'll see what it does for Daniel Jones' development because I don't think they'll be cutting him this year. I think probably a bigger penalty and cap-wise more than a bigger savings. But I think really that move also was trying to patch the hole that OBJ vacated because you don't have this star receiver there, so you need a number one. Sterling Shepard more of a slot speed guy. And you sign Golden Tate, you have a number one for the next maybe two years. And then you're going to need to fill that again with somebody like Slayton or somebody you draft in the next couple of years. Maybe Jamar Chase is that guy. I don't know. But we'll find out sometime soon. But right now, that's the situation. I'm just explaining my theory and my thoughts on the stop gaps and the rebuilding situation and what the Giants actually went through in that case. So that will wrap it up for today's edition of the Bleeding Bay Blue podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, podcast hosted on Podbean, but available on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Follow our social media pages at Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. Remember, I am doing the simulation series tomorrow. This week, it's going to be Giants at Bears Week 2. And then Thursday, because I am going on vacation again, Thursday I will be doing the Bengals-Steelers game live streamed as well so you have back to back and you also have a podcast episode on thursday so it's going to be all fun all fun and games definitely check out the youtube channel everything else thank you guys for the support and we'll see you next time have a great night everyone